Hello and welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart women who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne journalists Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. We're back! We certainly are. <laughs> Coming up on today's show, how a couple of former AFL footballers proved exactly why this podcast exists. Is Taylor Swift co-opting the gay rights movement and why the hell Hummus and Keanu Reeves have gone viral? <laughs> First, Mish, how was your week slash break? It was so good. Was I it? feel very relaxed and calm and at peace. I will say, the first week of break, or maybe the first few days of being on break were very disorienting because I found myself kind of sitting in my apartment because I stayed in Melbourne. You went to New York and lived your best life. I was in Melbourne and you do realize when you're on a staycation. You should ban that sentence, living your best life, but that's for another time. <laughs> but when you're on a staycation, you very quickly also realize. ban staycation too. <laughs> Stop having such a hold over my vocab. Okay. So you realize that everyone is still at work. And so between 9 and like 4pm or 9 and 5, there's not that much to do other than watch Love Island UK and The Bold Type and any other series that I could get my hands on, including Parks and Rec. Oh, great show. And not the worst way to spend your time at all. No, but then I guess when you're used to working, your brain's kind of like, I'm bored and I couldn't get rid of this feeling of boredom. And then it was raining and gross weather. But apart from that, Great, great, great break. Once I got over that and my brain just kind of completely shut off, it was blissful. That's lovely. I'm very relaxed. I'm so happy for you. Do I have a recommendation for the week? I mean, you didn't ask me, so I'll just ask myself. <laughs> this is a two-person show. You're more than welcome to volunteer the information without the question. I very highly recommend Breaking Badly, which yes. is a non-fiction book by Georgie Dent. We actually worked with Georgie Dent for a hot second. Are you going to ban that as well or is that okay? Hot, hot second. second? No, I've certainly used that one in my time. <laughs> We're actually interviewing Georgie for an In Conversation episode of Shameless, which is dropping in a couple of weeks' time. But her book is all about her experience with mental illness, how she actually was admitted to a psychiatric facility when she was 24, and her experiences since. And I think the book being divided into breaking, broken, and better is a really beautiful way to do it and to present her story. And For anyone who has suffered with anxiety, I've obviously been vocal about my experiences with anxiety in the past. I really highly recommend this. Some of the chapters were hard to read. Like I found myself basically sobbing as I read Georgie's experience. But I think that's simply because because she illustrated it so beautifully and so perfectly and so eloquently. So Breaking Badly by Georgie Dent, I highly, highly recommend. Yeah, she is a beautiful writer, um, particularly when it comes to such difficult subject matter. So I would also very much recommend that. And I am so excited for our In Conversation with Georgie to drop in a couple yes. of weeks. Your break. Tell me. My break was great. Break is an interesting word, isn't it? <laughs> when you decide to drop a podcast midway through. I mean, yeah, it was an interesting decision on our part but that's fine. I'm not sure where it came from. No, I'm not sure either. More than fine. So I was overseas for a couple of weeks, um, which was wonderful. It was a really great holiday. We did drop our podcast in collaboration with Bumble Australia called Love Etc. Hopefully some of you have listened by now. Well, we know some of them we'll have ban listened. you all if you haven't. <laughs> no, we know that you have listened. Um, halfway through the holiday, which meant the holiday was less of a holiday, but it was still very good. I have to say I... Could not recommend Elaine Welteroth's book more, more than enough. Was this the one that arrived on your doorstep and you squealed that we yes. spoke about in the last podcast yes. before the break? This was the one. Okay. So Elaine, just to recap very quickly again, was the former editor-in-chief of Teen Vogue. She was like instrumental in redirecting Teen Vogue's tone and content into uh, things that were far more political mm. and progressive and, dare I say, woke. <laughs> okay, I slash out that word. I veto woke. I definitely veto woke. Okay, I, that is also fair. But <laughs> what I'm finding most interesting about this book, and I'm just very near the end now, is it is such a great story to be permeating the mainstream right now. Like her publisher is pushing this book out to no end. I haven't seen a bigger publicity tour for a book mm. in a very, very long time. To see a publisher throw money behind not just a book but a woman of colour who is writing a book about being a woman of colour mm. in a white world is incredibly interesting. It goes from her childhood trying to work out um, who she is because her dad is white, her mum is black, and there's a huge identity crisis going on there, and then her time sort of entering into the media world and magazines. It's so great and I could not 
not could not recommend it enough. And so I'm so stoked that that book seems to be doing very, very well too. Absolutely. Do you have a best day or worst day in New York? Worst day, you, probably the day that we were working from about 5am like, in the morning to 12am. Yeah, but you put that um, put that on New York time and I was on my computer about 3 <laughs> o'clock in the morning. It's like, I'm pretty sure people are meant to be like out drinking doing this. Okay, but successful days. So we'll pencil it down it when, as a... I hate it when you do this for my holidays. What was your best day of your holiday? I just I, want to know. Well, everyone goes, what was your best like city? You only went to one city. So I just yeah. want to know your best day. My best day. Um, oh my God. I don't know. I hate being put on the spot. Come on. Oh, you, you're going red. You're dead eyeing me. Why am I going red? This what about, a, what about the, ho- the helicopter experience? Yeah, that, that was like pretty cool. spectacularly extra as well. Mm-hmm. That's why I didn't want to mention that now because it's also <laughs> spectacularly extra. How much did you spend on it? It doesn't matter. <laughs> YOLO. You only anyway, live once. <laughs> someone's glad we're back at work and earning money again. <laughs> Oh dear. Let's do talk about love, etc. though, because I think this is going to be the basis of our very first segment today, Zara you McDonald. You think or you know? Well, I know, because for those who missed it, which would be all of you, because we chose not to speak about this during the week last week. We chose to kind of bunk it down and think about it and then present and this to you all. Be mature. <laughs> be the mature, bigger people about this. Which we absolutely are not. And then package it in a segment to do on our podcast. All right. So basically, I'm sure many of you are familiar with Dane Swan if you live in Australia. If you do not, let me explain. He is an AFL star, former AFL star. He doesn't play anymore, but he was a Brownlow medalist who retired in 2016. He came runner up on I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here Australia 2017. So he is a big, big name. He has a podcast with another former AFL footballer, Zara McDonald. He does. With a man by the name of Scotty Cummings, who retired in 2002. He was also a successful footballer, kicked a lot of goals. I don't know. (laughs) They have a producer on their podcast together who is a former footy show producer named Ralphie Horowitz. I don't think it'll be too much of a surprise to any of the listeners when we go into this that this is a podcast by two former AFL footballers and a footy show producer because Zara, they are not a fan of Love Etc., the podcast that we've released with Bumble. In fact, on their latest episode of their podcast, which is a hump day podcast, I think it's called Scotty and Swanee. Why did you give the name? I don't care. I actually i am beyond caring. They did, I think it was a seven-minute segment ripping into Love Etc. to the point where they played snippets from our podcast which is copyright issue in and of itself, but onwards. Copyright infringement, but we are the bigger people. Let's repeat that again and again. And they proceeded to laugh hysterically at our podcast. They mocked us. They spoke very uh, bluntly about what they thought about us and what they thought about the content that we created. I don't want to go in and give exact quotes. The only quote I will give you guys so that you can get a taste of what the tone was like in this segment was they opened it by making the joke that the reason two women would be at the top of the Apple podcast charts is because we must, and I quote, lay together. And when you say lay together, the inference was? That we are having sex together. Okay, well. (laughs) I mean, who knows? We might be. Don't crack that joke right now. (laughs) But that was the inference that two women together obviously have to be having some type of sexual relationship and they then went in to basically mock us for seven full minutes. Okay. What I want to do to set the scene very quickly is ask you a question as to why you wanted to talk about this. Because this is a pop culture and celebrity podcast. We go back through the news cycle. We talk about whatever's been going on. Why did you so badly want to talk about this in a way that could very easily just come across as defensive? Because... I, I mean, we disagreed on this. As soon as mm. I found out, um, I turned to you and I said, I reckon this is our first segment coming back. And you didn't want to give it any airtime and you wanted to just to let it die, I think, was your initial gut reaction. Yeah, totally. And I came back to that saying, well, look, this is the reason Shameless exists. Yeah. Like these men and the messages that they're putting out on their podcast that are widely held across Australian society and across society more generally around the world is that women are stupid for caring about the things they care about and so often women are derided for the things that they take interest in and in this case on love etc it was our episode about heartbreak so they these men were out there playing snippets of me talking about heartbreak you talking about heartbreak our vox pop guests talking about heartbreak and laughing and they made the comment as if women are speaking about this for 45 minutes and as if it's doing successfully because they clearly saw us higher on the charts and said well why is anyone listening to this bullshit was the message 
I think this is why we're here. And I think this is why everyone listening to this is here. Because for so long, we've been made to feel stupid. And that's the whole reason Shameless has done well and that Shameless Media now exists. I agree with you. So when Michelle got a message about this, we were both lying in a <laughs> facial. It was actually a parody. It was a complete parody. <laughs> so we were getting what we call an enzyme treatment, right? And for those of you who don't know what an enzyme treatment is, it's basically this... I'm, this is clearly not going to be the technical explanation. Let's do the easy one. Um, it is basically this like thing they put on your skin that hardens over time to the point where you cannot move your face, your neck or your shoulders. For about half an hour. For about half an hour. <laughs> so the lovely two facialists leave the room and Michelle picks up her phone and we're about to basically have a nap. And she said, I know you're really tired right now, but I've just got this message. Dane Swan is trolling us. And as we're going to try and talk about it, our faces are hard. And we can't get any words out. So I was <laughs> relatively pissed off in that moment because I wanted to talk about it and get it done, but we couldn't. It was absurd. But this kind of didn't penetrate my radar for very long. Like it didn't annoy me. And so I didn't want to talk about it because I didn't care that much. But it was when you turned around to me and said, this is why we started the podcast initially. Like women are consistently derided for their interest in a mainstream context we're never allowed to talk about the things that we want to talk about without looking like dickheads or idiots that I thought, okay, that's actually quite a good, a good point. And I think by virtue of our age, our gender and the subject matter that we choose to cover in our jobs as journalists, whether it be celebrity, pop culture, and now love, I am acutely aware that people think we are dumb. Like, I don't know how you feel about this, but even still through all the work we have done in this community, trying to make dumb stuff smart and trying to encourage and empower women to talk about whatever the fuck they want. I still struggle from time to time when I introduce myself to people, when people ask what I do. And then I, they ask maybe what the podcast is about because mm. I am so acutely aware, even though I am not embarrassed in the slightest about what we do, about the assumption or perception of what we do. Yeah. See, I don't struggle with that so much, but I think maybe because I came into our careers as a writer and you came more from as a journalist. So we always had that slight difference yeah. in the content that we wanted to cover. I think what really frustrated me about this segment, and I'm, I agree with you, I haven't, I don't really care. Like if these three men, one aged in his mid thirties, two aged in their forties or fifties now, if they want to go on their podcast and bitch about love, etc., and bitch about shameless media, that's fine. I also know who won Australia's most popular podcast in 2019. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's kind of ironic, to be honest. <laughs> the people who came to our live show earlier this year would have heard us talk about this. And I do think there's a massive irony here that these three guys come from an AFL fraternity. Yeah, and this totally. is a sport that I bloody love, okay? So anything that I'm about to say, keep in mind, I'm the AFL's biggest supporter. Long-time listeners of the podcast would know I'm a mad Richmond fan. But it's so ironic to me that three men sat around playing our podcast, pissing themselves laughing, and didn't seem to bat an eyelid at the fact that they have an hour and 10 minute long podcast where they talk about football and sex and alcohol and whatever, and they don't see that as frivolous and silly. There are hundreds of TV programs, radio programs, podcasts, blogs dedicated towards football, which is a ball sport at the end of the day. It's a bunch of guys kicking on the, leather, a bunch of guys kicking leather around a patch of grass. And there are thousands upon thousands of pieces of content released about one game on a patch of grass every single day. And for those three men to think that's totally legitimate. And yet one woman dominated show targeting women, talking to women about things that women find interesting is something to laugh at. That to me encapsulated the exact reason why you and I are here, because it's ironic that men never look at their own interests as being frivolous and silly. We're allowed to take interest in things that might be frivolous and silly. But then even then, I don't think heartbreak is frivolous or silly. <laughs> it's not. It's absolutely not. And I think it comes back to that point that we always harp on about and will continue to do so in that you're absolutely right. Content around sport has existed and will exist for decades to come. And there is so much stuff about there. It's like a tsunami of content about sport. And there is not enough content for women. And I would argue, talking about the stuff that we talk about, you can derive more meaning talking about pop culture and celebrity than you can about sport. Sorry if that's potentially... And about love. Oh, completely. I mean, but I'm pretty confident on that point. Like, back me in a room with Dane Swan and I feel like we could we could win that argument. Is that <laughs> you and Dane Swan in a debating tournament. Dane Swan just wouldn't give a shit. I think for me, though, I started thinking over the course of the day that this happened, that while we have created a pretty sizable and pretty safe I would say, community for women to talk about things in whatever way they like. 
like I had sort of lulled myself into a false sense of security because I think just because we exist in a nice and kind of bubble where content is supported, this kind of content is supported, it'll take a long time for it to be at a point where it's respected on a mainstream public level. And I think that was a pretty harsh reality check for me in that even though the stuff we're putting out is doing okay, that in order to gain credibility, and I think credibility for you and I is something that we've been trying to fight for and we'll continue to try for. And every woman in the media. Totally. I think there's this real idea that you're not credible or doing real or important work unless you're doing work that is maybe in sports journalism or... Appealing to old men. Investigative journalism. Exactly. And if it doesn't have the affection or respect of old men, then it's not worth anything. I was also thinking about what I would say to people who would say it was just a joke because I can imagine people listening to this saying, well, what if it was just a joke? Or like, what if you're being necessarily uptight? I think I would say, A, you need better jokes, like make your jokes funnier. And B, I would disagree about us being uptight because I haven't lost any sleep over that. And I know that sounds stupid because we're spending time talking about it on the podcast, but I would argue this segment is not coming from a place of anger or even annoyance. It's just real curiosity Mm. about how this all played out. I think the reason I I turned a corner, I guess, and agreed with you in that maybe we should talk about this is because it feels like we still exist in this realm where it's okay only for women to talk about their relationships and feelings and sadness, albeit to be mocked, but still okay for women to do it. Um, And that does nothing good for women, but it also does nothing good for men either. I think it's, it's so damaging for young men to listen to conversations like that and not feel empowered or supported to talk about things that we might want to be talk about. I think call me dramatic or say that I'm being hyperbolic, but attitudes and tone and stupidity like that are a stain on our push to encourage men to talk about their feelings and are a stain on our push to try and dismantle things like toxic masculinity. Yeah. Well, those men kind of jostled each other around saying that they don't talk about their feelings and that was kind of like a badge of pride to wear and I completely disagree with that I think if anything it's better for people in general to speak about how they're feeling about things and you shouldn't be derided for doing so I think at the really basic level it's cheap content right It's easy to mock people and it's easy to make fun of people, but it requires talent and skill to be funny without actually doing that at anyone's expense. At the end of the day, those three men on that podcast showed a profound lack of respect for two women in the media. And I don't think they would necessarily do the same thing to men. And I think there is a layer of sexism to what happened on that podcast. And I'm more than willing to call that out. But at the end of the day, we also have those three men with all of their peers to thank because old ignorant men like that are the reason why this is our career. We have a media company. We have a successful podcast because they have been the ones to make women feel stupid and irrational for so long. They're the ones who have made us feel like there isn't a space for the stuff we care about in the mainstream and unintelligent opinions and beliefs like theirs are why there isn't a single radio show with two women on it still in prime time in Australia. There are no women together on a breakfast or drive program around the country there is not a woman focused tv show in prime time those three men are the epitome of why women have flocked podcasts and why you are listening to this podcast right now completely and for me it spoke to two things firstly the overlap between sporting codes and an inability for men to talk about their feelings and how i think men within those sporting codes are really hindering our ability to like encourage men to speak up and to actually push back on um, and to actually kind of shine a light on men and mental health like that's one thing and i know some people might say it's too long of a bow to draw but i think those two things are directly linked and the second is the thing that we keep coming back to in that this is why we're here. This is why there are no women in these kinds of jobs in a mainstream context. And I think it's why we probably won't stop doing what we're doing, even when we get trolled by people like Dane Swan. (laughs) Even when we have an enzyme mask drying (laughs) on our face. And I can't speak about it. (laughs) Thank you, next bitch. And now it's time for the quick and dirty. Of course, the five top stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity news cycle that you may have missed while you're busy having a life. Zara McDonald, you were kicking us off. Top stories is a bit of an overstatement considering we literally just sort of like curate this ourselves based on whatever we want to talk about. Back yourself or the men will come for us again. <laughs> Number one, Batchy Faves, Maddie Johnson and Laura Byrne have welcomed their their first tiny angel. That is from Pedestrian. That's not a bad headline. Very earnest from, oh, I guess they were being sarcastic with tiny angel, first right? First tiny angel is pretty lovely. Um, look, we have some boasting to do. I mean more after the first segment. Lots of boasting to kick us off today. They announced Laura Byrne actually told us her baby name on an episode a few months ago. And when she said, oh, we're going to call the girl, if it's a girl, we're going to call her Marley May. 
I thought, okay, well, it's clearly a boy because you're not going to come on a podcast and tell the world your baby name months before you have it. Absolutely not. And even if it was a girl, we're like, eh, it's probably going to be something different. I remember we were laughing like a couple of weeks after that episode went live because we were like pretty smug about that, you know, like breaking story. Thanks, Laura, if you're listening. (laughs) And then three weeks later, there was a report that came out that said that Laura had accidentally referred to her unborn baby as a boy. And we said, ah, of course. (laughs) They know it's a boy. That's why she's released the girls' names. We're idiots. Like, we are absolute idiots to assume that we would have the power to get a baby name out of Laura Byrne that was actually legitimate. Lo and behold, (laughs) Laura Byrne gives birth and Marley May is here. Yeah, and we literally broke this story months ago. You're welcome, guys. I have two breaking stories in my time. Both are around Maddie Johnson and Laura Byrne. I had only connected those dots now. You need to tell people who haven't listened to the conversation yet. Okay. For those who haven't listened to the In Conversation episode with Laura Byrne, I told her that back in my (laughs) Mamma Mia days, I was scrolling Instagram at the very start of The Bachelor, when like first episode, and I spent too much time stalking people. I think I should put that out there. And I had found... What do you mean spent? You still spend. I spend too much time talking to people. I had found an image of Maddie J at the snow and then I found an image of Laura at the snow. And we put those two things together and we thought, this is interesting. They're both at the snow. They don't follow each other, but let's write a story about it, like a very tongue-in-cheek story. There's, they're obviously not there together because that would be too obvious, but mm-hmm. the story was pretty interesting. I'm pretty sure I fed you my, my news break because your, your byline's on the story. Yeah. Isn't it? I mean, oh, I don't know if it was, was it I me? think it's your byline on the story. You should read out the lead because it's a really, like, <laughs> funny kind of lame story. I'm typing anyway, it Anyway, this got picked up. Like, the, everybody ran with this. The Bachelor's ruined. Maddie J and Laura at the, at the snow together. Mm-hmm. This story is so boring, Michelle. I mean... Oh, my God. I can't believe this was almost two years ago. Okay, please start reading it to me. Published on July 28th, 2017, Michelle Andrews wrote, two Instagram posts might have revealed who wins The Bachelor. Okay, so this is the headline. Hit me with the first line. Um, Awkward. (laughs) (laughs) Inspiring journalism for me. You know how The Bachelor contestants are made to sign about a kajillion contracts promising the Channel 10 producers that no, they won't reveal who took home Maddie J's dangly bits? kidding me this yeah. is better than i remember <laughs> yeah it looks like that's all ruined this year and we're only up to the bloody second episode the bloody second episode that's some inspiring writing from you anywho that was my first scoop as a journalist <laughs> my second is with maddie and laura again if those two want to give us access to their wedding laura if you're listening so we can make some you know breaking news from that too we will be more than happy to can we be invited to the wedding i mean i loved laura when i met her is one meeting <laughs> enough to get an invite absolutely not <laughs> It's out in the public domain now. <laughs> Number two, Taylor Demir and Dom Thomas no longer live together following their recent split. That is from Nine Honey. Ah, from one reality TV couple to another. And this one is very sad story, Zara, because Taylor and Dom are no more. They did a YouTube video, didn't they? Yeah, a really quick one. I think for anyone unfamiliar, Taylor and Dom are, of course, from Love Island, Australia. They weren't actually together on the show. They were just friends on the show. But then Taylor got cheated on by... I can't remember his name. Grant Crap. Crap. <laughs> oh, wow. We remember that at the same By time. Grant Crap. And then Taylor and Dom got together afterwards. What a love story. Anyway, they have split. They say they are going on different paths. They want different things from their lives. The really sad thing about the one-minute YouTube video was that Dom looked like he had just spent the last two hours bawling his eyes out. His eyes were so bloodshot and, like, sad. It was pretty sad. My favourite thing is breakup videos when they say we're going on different paths but we remain great friends. Bullshit. Like you're literally never going to have a conversation ever again. I mean, this. they might be amicable. I don't know about great friends. There's did they say the great friends thing or did you just add that as a little bit of mayo? Might have been mayo. Okay. <laughs> I do also think unpopular opinion, rarely such thing as an amicable split. Oh, absolutely. Agree. So, you know. I mean, stop talking about relationships. Otherwise, we're going to end up on another football podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Number three, misguided criticized for selling unsustainable one pound bikini. That is from Yahoo. Can you give me some backstory? Did you I saw, see this? I saw some memes about this. This was really strange. So Misguided released a bikini, a black bikini that cost one pound. I'm guessing not a lot of material was used? Or? I mean, the amount of material <laughs> used for a regular bikini, I guess. Which isn't a lot these days. Exactly. Yeah. So they sold this one pound bikini and 
automatically there was a bunch of backlash, understandable backlash, because in a, in a time when we're trying to sort of fight back against fast fashion and sort of like environmentally unsustainable clothing, they come back and basically troll everybody by releasing a bikini and charging one pound. Mm. So there was a huge range of sort of like media commentary about this. What's most interesting and most unsurprising to me is the bikini obviously sold out. Do that. Yeah. So, so for as much as we have conversations about fast fashion and we're trying to actually, you know, raise a bit of awareness um, about the clothes that we're buying, where they're coming from, and the harm that that might be doing to the planet, the reality is people still want to shop cheap clothes. Yeah, well, the reality is is that some people can only afford cheap exactly. clothes. And if you are looking to buy a bikini this summer and one's up for one pound and you're 18 and you might be working a few hours a week in between uni and you might not be able to afford – some bikinis now are so expensive. Oh. I'm not defending Miss Guy. I think this is bad, but I, I will defend some of the young women totally. who would have gone out and bought these. Sometimes you want to save money and you want to go for the cheapest alternative – I, I'm not surprised that it sold out because I think commentary around sustainability is still in a really privileged space, and it's happening but between women who have. But it's happening between women who have the money to go buy I'm not, an, sorry, an alternative. I'm not disagreeing with you in the slightest. I think it's because it's a relatively new conversation, Agreed. and I say new in inverted commas in that it's probably going to start there before it can filter down to you know people who can afford to start having these conversations. Agree. So I 1,000% agree with you. I don't think any criticism should be directed towards the women that buy the bikini. The criticism should be solely there for misguided who pushed this out into the world to basically troll everybody who's doing work for sustainability and um, anti-fast fashion. Yeah, brands like Misguided will increasingly have a PR headache, I think, over the next decade. Yeah, but part of me is like maybe this is their branding. Maybe their branding is to deliberately go against the grain because they're separating themselves from the rest of the pack. To be shameless about it. Ah, there you go. Number four, Hamish McLaren jailed for minimum of 12 years with head sentence of 16. That is from The Australian. Do you know what this is about? Absolutely, I, this I do. This is from Who the Hell is Hamish? Yes. So the viral podcast series, of course. Hamish has been given, obviously, minimum of 12 years, maximum of 16. The judges' comments were scary. Scathing. Really? I really recommend people go read what the judge said about this because he was not very kind to ye old Hamish. Interesting. 12 years is a long time. Yeah, massively long. Uh, longer than I've seen for some really heinous, violent crimes. Mm. But, I mean, I think he deserves it for what he did to so many vulnerable women, particularly stealing people's life savings. It just requires a level of... Callousness. Callousness, yeah. yeah. And just coldness to do that. Totally. And number five, this viral surprise proposal shows the less glamorous side of influencing. That is from Vox. Again, I need context. Are you across this story? I think I saw this in the Facebook group and I scrolled past and was like, I'll get back to that. And I never got back to it. (laughs) I do that a lot. Okay. This is a very interesting story. So an Instagram influencer called Marissa Casey Fuchs, and there is every chance we have just massacred that last name. I mean, we or you? You, you and I. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna attempt it. So we'll just leave that as your failed attempt. Her Instagram handle is fashion ambitionist. And to be honest, to be safe, let's just refer to her as fashion ambitionist from here. Mm-hmm. Posted a video on her account a couple of days ago, and it was a video of her partner promising to propose slash marry her and take her on a tour of the world. And what they were going to do is that they were going to document it on their Instagram stories. So she posted a video of her husband saying, what is happening? Even though the video was clearly properly filmed, properly edited and properly uploaded. So it's like, this can't be a massive spontaneous surprise. It's, It's a really strange story. And also, how can it be a surprise if you're saying, I'm going to propose to you? Well, exactly. It's all incredibly confusing. It was like, I'm going to ask you the most important question of my life, but we're not into traditional weddings so I am going to do it my way and I'm going to take you to all these places gotcha a little extra I mean a bit more extra than the helicopter ride yeah probably a little bit more extra (laughs) thank you very much (laughs) there are people worse in the world than me Anyway, what's most interesting after this story, so they documented it all over social media. They went to like Paris and other places of which I cannot remember off the top of my head. Other places other places such as... New York? <laughs> sure. <laughs> and what happened after that went viral is The Atlantic wrote a story saying, welcome to the era of branded engagements. And what they had done is they had got their hands on a pitch deck. Oh my God, it's in like a sales deck. You know what a pitch deck is. So for people who don't know what a pitch deck is, it's basically like a sales presentation and it was all pitched to a, a bunch of different brands in the months before this actual thing actually went online. 
trying to get people to spend money on this engagement. So the pitch deck's on the internet. You can go on Reddit or wherever to find it. So, for example, Shameless has a pitch deck to our sponsors. Exactly. Basically saying who we reach, how many people. This is the kind of thing we would commit to posting whatever. Exactly. That's what they said. Oh, my God. So everyone's got their hands on this pitch deck before the proposal slash wedding slash marriage. Holy shit. So it's very strange. It's like this engagement is clearly a huge marketing ploy. And although we know that when it comes to Instagram and influencers, it's sort of being able to put put all of the things next to each other. It's incredibly jarring. And Helen Peterson, who is a culture writer for BuzzFeed, wrote on Facebook that this was a perfect artifact of late stage capitalism. Mm. Like it is the worst part about our, like the overlap between capitalism and social media and that you can literally make money off everything and everything is so perfectly curated and so meticulous that it's almost sickening. Well, it's turning your life moments and your life milestones into ads. Well, it's like everything is commodified. It's almost a bit Black Mirror-like. It is. And you know what? I think we are so performative these days that so many engagement announcements, baby announcements, pregnancy announcements, whatever, are meticulously thought out. Professional videographers, they are productions now. And each to their own. Like if that's what somebody wants to do, they are so well within their rights to do that. I just think when it comes to making money off these things in such a calculated way, it's a very interesting thing for Instagram followers to see this pitch deck and see how it's put together. I wonder, they must have been after like engagement ring brands, like, I don't know, even like Pandora or... Yeah, or even brands to sort of like take them, like even if they went out for dinner. Yeah, like went out for dinner to restaurants and stuff like that, like for the branding. To be there. Yeah. I mean, would you like to, what can we sell from our lives? Maybe we could have like a friendship breakup and then maybe you could move in. Mm, that doesn't work either. I don't know where this conversation is going. That's all for the quick and dirty for today. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. When other pop stars release singles, they make a splash. But Taylor Swift's new single and music video, You Need to Calm Down, has made a tsunami. Why are you raising your eyebrows? I'm not. I just, I'm watching your little smirk and you liked that line that you wrote. Yeah, well, it's not bad. It's not terrible at all. Onwards. Amassing almost 50 million YouTube views in less than a week, the hit has attracted praise and criticism in equal measure, with many admonishing Swift for being opportunistic for her support of the gay rights movement. Zara, do you think this single and video was a help or hindrance to the cause? Um, I don't think my opinion is worth that much when it comes to that specific question. Great. Can't wait to discuss it then in 15 minutes. <laughs> no, I think when it comes to that specific question, whether it was a help or hindrance to the cause is kind of not my call to make. Yeah. I think we can absolutely unpack the criticism, what the criticism is worth, how Taylor has responded. But when it comes to whether it was a help or hindrance, I don't really know. Like, do you feel like you can adequately answer that question either as two straight white women talking about this? Mm. Potentially not. I mean, I think I just overall, as a base standpoint, think that any kind of diversity in the mainstream is a good thing. And the more diversity we have will lead to better outcomes. So in that sense, I think it was a really well done music video. I don't know. I felt really positively when I watched this video and I was a little bit disheartened to see some of the negative commentary, although we will dive into it now. I agree with you. My initial response was when I saw the video, that's a really great video. And my baseline thought is one that's not dissimilar to yours in that representation is generally only a good thing. That said, I think it's far too simplistic to think that or to say that representation and diversity is going to be the only thing that creates change. And and change and the changing of attitudes takes a little bit more than that. I think there were some great things initially about this video. First, the petition, the call to action to the petition at the end was great. The representation, once again, was great. And then I think the fact that we're having conversations about what an ally looks like in 2019 is also a positive thing. However, I kind of appreciate that the accusations about this being problematic and that Taylor's support is potentially incredibly performative actually have weight. And I didn't feel like this at the start. I have to be completely, completely transparent. The first time I saw criticism about this video, I was A, surprised and B, a little bit tired. Mm. I had that kind of reaction that I feel like a lot of people have where it's just a sigh, an eye roll, and an I'm not going to engage, which I'm really glad we decided to do this as a segment because the more I read, the more my opinion changed. And I'm really, really glad that it did. But I think that knee-jerk, that initial knee-jerk reaction that kind of speaks to exhaustion Mm. definitely read its head. Did it for you as well? Less so, I think. I think I've read lots, especially from the New York Times and the Atlantic, 
and things like Junkie back here in Australia. I've read everything and I really tried to open my mind as to why some people didn't like this video. And again, I'm a straight woman, so I can't decide whether or not the video is positive or negative, I don't think. But I, I don't agree. And I think the reason I don't agree with so much of the negative feedback is because lots of people are saying, well, this is opportunistic and it's very unusually timed and that Taylor hasn't always been a supporter of the LGBTIQ community. And in the past, she's never been vocal about it. And I think my overriding sense and my overriding feeling when I read these articles that say, well, why now? Why not 10 years ago? Is that people change and we need to allow people to change and we need to allow people to find their voice. And just because Taylor Swift didn't openly come out and support gay people in a song 10 years ago certainly doesn't mean that she's not allowed to right now. And for as for commentary that says, well, it's very opportunistic and this is a commercial exercise for her – In my mind, can't things be helpful and commercial simultaneously? Because I certainly think that it would be remiss of us to pretend that this new single and this accompanying music video are simply for commercial gain. I think it can be two things at once, and I don't necessarily see a problem with that. No, I totally agree with you. I think that things can absolutely be commercial, and I absolutely think that they can be political at the same time. I think personal branding and personal politics can absolutely coincide in a way that matters and that can create change. In this case, though, once again, who are we to decide what's genuinely helpful? I don't think that's up to us to define. Going back to your point about criticism of the video and people claiming that Taylor is opportunistic and the idea that you should absolutely be able to change what you believe. I fundamentally believe... Well, not even change what you believe. Be vocal about what you believe as you age and you mature. I fundamentally agree with that. I actually don't think the criticism of Taylor is as simplistic as people would like to believe. I don't think people are criticizing her for only becoming vocal now. I mean, sure, there's a small portion that might be, but I think it's far more nuanced than that. For example, in the New York Times, there was a great sort of like three-way conversation um, between some of their culture writers about the backlash. It was really brilliant. Yeah, it was awesome. And Karen Gann said, because shouting about gay rights wasn't an explicit component of Taylor's work until recently, and we should remember her roots are in Nashville, which plays by different rules, the video is seen as more jarring than the arrival of something as bluntly hokey as Lady Gaga's born this way because Gaga had nurtured her gay audience from the earliest days. I don't think this is about whether straight women or straight people can be allies to the LGBTIQ community because it's necessary that we are. I think it's the way we go about it. I think when, like I just said, the criticism first arose, I was a little dismissive because I felt incredibly tired. But the more I forced myself to read so many op-eds about this. We've spent hours reading about this. This isn't, this absolutely, in my opinion, isn't about whether anyone can do any good anymore. It's about the fact that if you want to make money off a cause that isn't yours, you better do it right. Yeah, but how did she not do it right? In my mind, this idea that Taylor Swift is co-opting the movement, which is something that Spencer Cornhaber wrote about in The Atlantic. He said that the fear for many queer people is less that allies might profit off them, that allies might change and defang what queerness means. The A in terms such as LGBTQIA plus typically stands for asexual or aromantic, but it's often mistaken for ally, which is a sign of danger here. People with no personal stake, facing no germane struggle of their own, not only join the club, but also begin to define it. And I'm sorry, I know I'm a straight woman again and I'm going to keep coming back to that. I disagree because she didn't try to redefine what queerness meant. She brought in so many different queer public figures from every single letter included in that LGBTQIA community and she let them be the focal point of her video. Yes, she was in it, but they... Like so many people were given a voice and a platform in that video and I think it's so ridiculous that we are taking away what that cameo would have meant to so many people and she didn't only choose celebrities either there was adam ripon who was the first openly gay man to win a medal in the history of the winter olympic games there was dexter mayfield who was a plus-size model who did not have a massive community before this there are no less than eight drag queens that she has gone on to then give them the highlight of their careers reframe project and say this is the highlight of their career i'm sorry would you go if it, if it would queen, highlight of my career it'd be a highlight of anyone's career to be in a taylor swift music video that's got 50 million views no, in a few days There's no doubt it would be good. I just don't know if we can project and say it would be the highlight because I think what we're missing here and what I keep coming back to is that nobody's saying this is all good or all bad. And I think that's what's missing from the conversation and with two sides shouting each other. Nobody's saying this is a stain on the movement or nobody's saying this is the best thing to ever happen to the movement. People are saying this is not entirely bad, but there's some 
things that could change here. The two things that I'm sensing from a lot of the reading that I've done that should have sort of been considered. The first is an element of criticism comes down to the lyrics, her seeming to sort of conflate internet trolls to criticism this I regarding the LGBTI community. They aren't the same thing. And I totally appreciate how it seems she's conflating trolling on the internet about her and Katy Perry's relationship to really sort of um, devastating and bigoted commentary and legislation mm. regarding the community. Two concepts probably should have been two different songs. I completely agree. The with other that. thing that I've read that I kind of appreciate too was in a really good piece for Esquire by Dave Holmes, who said a gay anthem is absolutely still possible in 2019. But now that gay people are doing it for themselves without indirect representation or coded language, maybe the role of an ally is to take a seat again, just the one and let them. I think it's not a bad point. This is a, Michelle, I get genuinely, it. this is somebody from the community saying, we're not saying gay anthems can't exist. We're not saying you can't be an ally. We're not saying you can't support us and stand next to us. We're saying that maybe, in my opinion, this is how you should do it. Who are we to say that that's wrong? I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm saying that I think that a commentary like this and backlash like this, which has been immense, like the backlash against Taylor Swift totally. has been immense. I think Probably honest, disproportionate to the crime. Disproportionate. Too. And I don't think there really is a crime. But again, I'm a straight woman. This makes me think, is she better off saying nothing at all? Is she better off not even bothering to try, not bothering to bring these people in? Because she will cop less backlash and she has copped less backlash for every other music video where she hasn't made a political stand. And this is why so many people with platforms don't do anything. They don't stand for anything and they say nothing because as soon as you try to say something, as soon as you bring in all these people, if she had got up in this music video and preached about gay rights and the gay community and not brought in any of these other people, 100% that would have been so wrong. But to have the backing of dozens of people totally. from this community and give them a platform and give them a stage and give them the biggest spotlight in the world right now, is she better off just doing nothing? Because she wouldn't have got this backlash. And we need to remember as well, this is a woman who comes from a country music background in Nashville and the drippings of that are probably a really white, really conservative, really right-leaning community who need to watch this stuff. Yeah, there are gay anthems out there, but this is the biggest pop star in the world lending her voice and her platform to these people. And she's platforming and them. And people aren't saying that she can't. People aren't saying that she can't be an ally to the community. And I have to keep reiterating. Like, I liked the video. I love the representation. I'm just trying to sort of understand where the backlash has come from. I actually kind of disagree in that she she hasn't got backlash when she hasn't been political. Taylor Swift probably arguably got the most amount of backlash when she didn't say anything during the 2016 presidential election. Like when she's not political, she also cops backlash. I think the argument too that, well, if she doesn't say anything, is she better off? Like if she's going to get criticism for saying something, maybe I shouldn't say anything at all, kind of reminds me when we always laugh um, ourselves. This is kind of a bit of a tangent, but I feel like it's an analogy that I'm going to go with. <laughs> it kind of reminds me when we laugh about sometimes how we used to talk to our boyfriends about like, hey, do you mind if you stop going out so much? And they throw their hands up and they say, well, <laughs> fuck it, I'm not going out ever again. That's kind of what it reminds me of. It's not one or the other. It's absolutely not one or the other. I think the role of an ally is so important across feminism, across um, LGBTIQ communities, across so many realms. But I think if you're not willing to listen to the community you're purporting to represent then being an ally is kind of more about your ego and your branding than it is about actually being an ally. Yeah, perhaps. But I guess in my mind, this does more good than it does bad. And I think that actually does come down to the most popular post in the group during the week, which was yes. from a beloved listener, Nakia, who has been a joy to have in there because his insights are always so great. And he is a gay man and his post about Taylor Swift's music video and song got thousands of likes in our yeah, Facebook group during the week. And we will get him to read it here because I think this this paragraph and how Nakia spoke about what pop stars like Lady Gaga and like Taylor Swift talking about gay issues has done for his mental health and his and his safety in the community is really important. And I think when I listen to stories like Nakia's, I think the benefit that these songs do for people like him outweighs the negative connotations that other people in the community might feel from these songs. So here is Nakia. Yes, it is 2019, but I read an article the other day that reported five trans people were killed just this month in the US. Another reported of a mother stabbing her son to death for saying that he wanted to be a girl. Not to mention that suicide is five times more likely among our community from members aged 16 to 27. 
It is 2019, but the LGBTQI community is still in serious danger, and we need all the help, protection, and love that we can get. You Need to Calm Down is the Born This Way song I needed back then. It will allow people to be brave, to come out, to be themselves, to be free, to be empowered, to do many great things. We cannot pick out Taylor in times like these because they are so important. We need to thank her. We need to support her. We need to encourage her and other artists to do the same so that us LGBTQI people can have a representation. This song will save lives and it is a step in the right direction. I hope that one day all the LGBTQI people won't be bullied in school for being them. That people like me don't have to move away from their family to feel like they belong in the world. I hope they can come out without fear or judgment. I think for me, hearing Nakia speak so eloquently and beautifully about this and reading opinions that exist on the internet that uh, are not at all agreeing, where both of those people might not be on the same page, comes back to this idea once again that nothing is all good or all bad or no one community is going to agree homogeneously on the same issue. It's not about something being completely bad. It's not about something being completely good. It's about looking at a music video as it stands by someone who makes a lot of money and who has a lot of ability to sort of be consulted on these issues and saying, okay, the fundamental of this are good and it is so well-intentioned and I don't think anyone's going to disagree that it was completely well-intentioned but it's that idea of what could she have done for it to be better or potentially had a bigger impact on the community at which she's purporting to represent. And from the reading I think the biggest crime is conflating the hate that she gets online to the hate that people from this community get and I think that was a mistake However, I do love the video and I'm really happy to hear sentiment like Nakia's because that's really heartening. Michelle? Yes. Why do you look suspicious? <laughs> I did something bad today. What? I bought a coffee Zara. on Uber Eats. Zara, again. My money is not doing so That's well. That's the, the second moment. day in a row. I know. You just got back from New York. I need help. You just got on a helicopter. Can you help me? I mean, I've, I actually can. Do <laughs> you can help me? This Wednesday at Shameless Media, we will be unveiling the project that we have been working on for so long about women and finance and money and we could not be more excited to share it with you that is so right this coming wednesday we're bringing you the money content you've always needed but never known where to find and a little teaser we're becoming the stage crew and letting two other very special women take the reins stay tuned for wednesday morning we are so excited Okay, so oh, here's a weird one. Why is it that hummus memes have found themselves all over the internet? What is it about a dip and a subpar one at that that has taken hold of an entire generation of millennials who just want to talk about what they deem to be the hero of a grazing table? How does something as stupid and as silly as hummus... <laughs> oh, no. Hummus is my Myra Claire. ...become the centre of a pop culture phenomenon? Michelle, this is the segment you absolutely did not want to do and I demand to know why. For those who aren't in our Facebook group, this was a conversation that happened while Zara was in New York. I woke up one morning to a message from you basically saying we need to do a segment on hummus. Is it hummus? Hummus. I actually... Shit. Hummus. 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 Does anyone going to mind if we sort of just oscillate between calling it hummus, hummus and hummus throughout this entire segment? And I've been practicing Mari class. <laughs> I wish I had a filmed Michelle's face. Her eyes almost rolled back into her head because she was concentrating so much. It's like my entire, and she nodded as she went. My entire body just wants to say Marie. This is why. This is how I feel about hummus. Anyway, let's get this segment over and done with. You want to talk about it because apparently hummus, me- hummus <laughs> memes have been all over your newsfeed. For the last month and you want to know why. And you replied saying, I've literally never seen a hummus meme in my life. So I Googled straight away and I feel like context is important here. I had had a wine or two. <laughs> and so I Googled, why is hummus all, why are hummus memes everywhere? Literally the first thing that came up was a, an Instagram page at hummus memes with a three where it is meant to be, obviously. And the, <laughs> the bio on hummus memes on Instagram is girls don't like boys, girls like memes and hummus. <laughs> and then underneath that, by the way, buy merch here. <laughs> <laughs> they have merch. They absolutely have merch with the little like finger pointing arrow wow. down to the go-to link. I am interested in this 
because I I am genuinely wondering how things like dip or and it's not just dip like we've had dumber things in our time can kind of pull people together in a way that we can't be pulled together with sport or politics. Yeah. It's interesting. Once I did get thinking about this, I mean, begrudgingly, I didn't want to do this segment <laughs> overly much. So are you a Hummus fan? Uh, no, not a Hummus fan. I, so you'd say you're an anti-fan or you're like a mediocre fan? I just would never reach for it. I don't actively hate it. Like I'm not anti-Hummus. I don't reach for the Hummus either. I'm just not pro-Hummus. My dip of choice would probably be like a pesto. I think Black Swan or whatever the name of that. I like a tiramisalata or a. I actually have just tiramisalata, the pink one. Oh yuck! Okay, what about and a tzatziki? I know. Nah, not about that. Tzatziki might be a bit bogan. You know how we're talking about is risotto cooler bogan? I think tzatziki is kind of bogan, but unpopular opinion. So much better tasting than hummus. Hummus has this slight kind of blandness to it. (laughs) Yeah, and an aftertaste and no kick lingers in your mouth, and I don't like the um the like. The consistency, and if I was to go for another oh, dip, the aside consistency from, can get in the bin. Aside from pesto, I would definitely go for a capsicum dip, oh, like a spicy capsicum. Absolutely not. Oh, fuck off, Sarah. <laughs> oh okay, when you did begrudgingly get into this segment, my apologies. Okay, I do think that memes like this, which are silly and ridiculous, are so prevalent these days and have gained such traction because we're so flooded by the news cycle. We're so flooded by negative current affairs all day, every day, more than any other generation in human history. Like I pick up my phone and I get a push notification from Apple News that something awful has happened halfway across the world and this many people have died or this many people are injured. That has never been the case for another population. That has never been the case across human history. We don't just learn about atrocities in the morning. We learn about them at different points throughout the day, every day. And I think that fact and that reality has forced us to find spaces in life that are completely sanitized from seriousness and darkness. And that is Instagram and that is Twitter and it is memes. Yeah, I think for me, it's this idea that we crave things now that have absolutely no meaning, which is annoying because I feel like now we're about to find meaning in something that's brought us joy because it has no meaning. Mm -hmm. But I do think we are at a point now where things are kind of so hectic and we are saturated with content and ideas and um, opinions and bad news stories all the time that sometimes nothing is funnier than something out of context, like wildly on out of context that doesn't really mean anything that we can't make sense of. But our sense of humor is now sitting there. Yeah. And you're going to hate me because I did research this a little bit. I did not realize that the term meme is derived. <laughs> People are going to fucking hate us now. Is derived from memetics. Which, in the same way genetics, for example, Zara, describes a packet of hereditary information. Yes. Memetics describes a packet of cultural information. So I think memes are really an amalgamation between absurdity on one hand and the element of like an inside joke on the other. Yeah. So it makes us feel like a community, like we're in on it, like we're all part of the joke. And it reminds me, I'm not sure if you saw this last year, but hummus memes or hummus memes or whatever oh the God. fuck we're calling them now, Marie Claire. Reminded me of last year when Thank the Bus Driver memes went viral. Did you see this? No. Okay. So on a few, there was one Instagram page in particular, Beige Cardigan or Brown Cardigan. I always get them confused, where everyone would be on a bus and film themselves thanking the bus driver. And the whole idea was that if you thank the bus driver, you're going to heaven. And anyone who doesn't thank the bus driver is going to hell. Are you a bus driver thanker? Oh, God, yeah. I'm a tramp. Well, I don't take buses. I take trams. I'm definitely and a tram driver like thanker. And what if you're like third or like right at the back? No. Oh. When I'm close, I'll give him like a little... Like a thumbs up, a head nod? little or like her. quiet thank you or her. So you're not going to yell? No, probably won't scream it out across the tram. But the whole idea and it went... It was so funny. I remember pissing myself with Mitch to different memes of thanking the bus driver and how if you thank the bus driver, you are a superior human being. And this went around the world. There were people in Russia getting on buses <laughs> and saying cheers, mate, to the bus driver. But this is what genuinely stumps. Kept sitting there wondering how it's hummus or thanking the bus driver that's brought us all together. Like it's not like we're getting brought all together over the concept of cars or like... <laughs> Swimming in the ocean. But it needs to have a little element of absurdity. Totally. But there are heaps of absurd things in the world that we don't bond over. I also did a bit of digging on why I think hummus has become our <laughs> middle ground. Okay. And I actually think it comes back to the pure and boring fact that people generally like hummus more than any other dip, that generally it's kind of boring, so it needs to be celebrated. And it's such like a mundane, consistent part of our existence. I think I'm For just example, having the realisation that Dane Swan and Scotty Cummings have a point. 
<laughs> I think I just have an epiphany that maybe they're right. <laughs> okay. For example, I'm not done. When I did some digging, it's not just anecdotal that people like hummus more than any other dip. In a mouth-watering market, Obella had topped Can Star Blue's customer satisfaction ratings for dips in 2018. So it was rated five stars for taste, consistency, that is fucking bullshit if I've ever heard it, variety, range, packaging appeal, and overall satisfaction. Obella specialises in hummus. So if we're talking stats here, and I feel like we could never do a segment without the research, people generally very much like hummus and because it's boring it's those two things coming together everyone likes it and it's boring so people feel like it's the underdog when it's not okay what do you think i mean yeah sure i mean those stats you can't, <laughs> stats don't lie. You can't argue with stats but the other thing that i've been thinking of is keanu reeves because keanu reeves has has been completely memeified in the last month right yep. and it feels like an inside joke that i'm not a part of have you ever felt like virality has passed you by and you're completely out of the loop oh yeah like totally. you see a meme and you're like wait i actually don't understand how this became a thing a, a thing and i can't jump on board yeah no totally is it because keanu reeves is a little bit left of center again like, i think a little it, bit odd I think it's that idea that he's generally quite popular, very earnest, and has that underdog vibe. I think I've just come up with the equation for things that become viral. The underdog vibe. So it's How does of, hummus have the underdog no, 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 vibe? It's popular under the facade of underdog. So it's actually not underdog at all, but because it's got sort of like a, uh, a blandness to it. We're talking about hummus, not Keanu Reeves, right? <laughs> because it's got like, Keanu has a sense of earnestness, a good guy appeal, which yeah. sort of gives him the underdog vibe. Right. Are you feeling this? I mean, no. But Put those you- two things together and it becomes a thing. Gotcha. So Keanu's not on social media so we can fawn about him in a way he likely won't understand so it makes it more fun and less weird yeah for someone who's not on the media do you think he's looking at these memes just utterly perplexed that's exactly the idea popular underdog okay great do you want to know some other viral things from 2019 and you can tell me your favorites yes thrillist did make a listicle of the most viral moments of 2019 so far they do this every year and they update it and they literally have a ranking right so most viral that i actually knew what it was i won't lie Number like one to three, I was like, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> Marie Kondo and the phrase does not spark joy. Yeah, absolutely. Right? All over Twitter. How does that fit into what you just said though? Um, a little bit odd? Okay. Let's actually not apply the equation to everything okay. because it was doing so well up until this point. Okay. The next one down the ladder was cheesing. which Actually, is the I've of- gone back to spark joy. So very popular <laughs> show, but something as mundane and underdoggy as cleaning. <laughs> Like something as ordinary as cleaning, but still generally very popular. Okay, great. You're going to struggle with this one. Cheesing, which were videos on Twitter, you'll recognize it when I tell you, of parents throwing plasticky cheese slices on their baby's faces and watching them stick. Oh, no, that's just funny. That's just generally funny. Okay, great. What about the phrase, and it shows, which was the next viral moment? For example, some of you were never the third friend that had to walk behind when the sidewalk is too narrow, and it shows. So I'm stumped on this one. Well, every... Mm. <laughs> I, was, I don't know where I was going to go with that. <laughs> we just had like dead air. <laughs> we just had dead air. Damn it. All right. And my last one, of course, I think this came in number 10 or something on Thrillist list. The world record egg. The world record egg. See, once again, everybody <laughs> likes um, eggs. <laughs> everybody vegans don't like eggs you're so right absolutely i've just insulted vegans most people like eggs most people like eggs but eggs are pretty unassuming they're pretty bland they're pretty bland and egg this egg was trying to take over from kylie jenner so that's funny too None of this makes sense. I need to wrap this. <laughs> I need to wrap this episode. Do you have a favorite meme from 2019? Or world is it record, No, World Record Egg was, has been my favorite by far. Really? Oh my god, World Record Egg had its own website. Yeah, I found it so and funny. Merch. I, I mean, got so much joy from World Record Egg. Crap! Just speaking about merch, I forgot to announce at the beginning of the episode that Shameless Merch raised five thousand dollars for charity. We have so our Shameless Merch did all sell out. I think there were like five hundred pieces that sold. Yes, of our Shameless Merch charity jumpers. So you guys have officially donated five thousand dollars to towards homeless women in Australia, specifically through the Sacred Heart Missions Women's House. And we cannot thank you enough. That money will be donated as soon as next week. Exactly. And that is on top of the $5,000 that you guys have already donated to Bridging the Gap, um, which was, you know, pushing for better outcomes for Indigenous people across the country. So they are two really special causes that we couldn't be more stoked about. Michelle has absolutely massacred this segment now that we're talking about this. So I guess we should just finish the show. Thanks, guys. Love you. (laughs) If you do enjoy listening to Shameless, please take a screenshot 
screenshot of your iPhone or your Android, no judgment, Android listeners, you're welcome here too. Uh, it's a safe space. And put it up on your Instagram story and tell your friends that they should listen to Shameless because we have a, I was going to say a rollicking good time, but I'm not 50 years old, so. No, we have a jolly good time. Jolly good time. We have a, a we're raucous now, time. We're now 70. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so, so much for supporting um, Shameless and Love Etc., and a preemptive thank you for supporting our next project, which launches on Wednesday morning. Yes, two sleep days deprived to go. gals right here. We are so, so excited. This is the other big project that has been demanding all of our time over the last few months that we have been alluding to. We couldn't be more excited. Keep your eyes peeled for our Instagram very early Wednesday morning and all will be revealed. Yay! Bye, guys. Thanks so much. Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.